We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 in just a few minutes. Um, as you're turning there, I do just want to take a moment to remember and reflect upon the fact today is September the 11th, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't take just a minute to reflect upon the fact that for those of us who have lived long enough, that, that was definitely a uh, changing point in the history of our world. Uh, some of you, many of you in here today only know of it as a, 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 a remembrance on television or something you learned about in school. For so many of us, uh, we have uh, known it as a changing and turning point in all of history. Um, many of us in here know, um, though, know some or many who have been lost to the war on terror that began uh, 21 years ago today. So I uh, just want to take just a moment to reflect upon the fact that um, this is a historic day in our country, and yet we are grateful for a Lord who continues to be seated on his throne even when it seems like the world has fallen apart. Let me pray for just a minute. Father God, I just pray for our country today. We thank you for um, the unity that came about 21 years ago on the backside of such tragedy. We live today in a country that is so often divided. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit. Pray that you'd move among us. Not only here in this building, but Lord God, across this land. Father, what would it look like if the people of God rose up clung to the word of God, shared the hope and the love of God, and that, Father God, you would bring about a great change. God, we lean on you today as we reflect upon a tragedy. In Christ's name, amen. On the backside of 9-11, one of the things that we were urged to do is to keep on. I don't know if you remember that, but that was sort of the big deal. Hey, don't stop. Let's not stop being... Americans and not stop with our lives. We can't allow terror to ruin us. Um, and so uh, um, we move on, even though we remember, we move forward. Uh, a few other announcements to remind you about this morning. Uh, equipping studies begin tonight. If you haven't signed up for one, I would encourage you to. There's a lot of great opportunities. The sign-up sheets are in the hallway back behind me, or you can sign up on our website uh, there's been some emails that have gone out. You can find the information about it on the website. So I just encourage you. They start at 6 o'clock tonight. If you haven't signed up and you're not sure where you want to be, if you show up here tonight, we will help you figure out where to go and find something that would suit you. So I just hope that you will look at that. We've got children's choir for children tonight. So we've got child care taken care of. There's a youth study. There's several adult studies. So look at that. There's a Next Steps class next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. If you are interested in sort of learning what it would be like to take those next steps here at Malvern Hill, no commitment that comes on the back end of that class, but you can learn a lot about who we are and what we do. Uh, so uh, that class, I lead that. We will meet at 4 o'clock next Wednesday, next Wednesday, next Sunday afternoon, so I would invite you to come be a part of that. And finally, uh, just want to let you know that Christmas is around the corner. I have a countdown on my computer, um, but uh, it's true. Uh, but that means that our, uh, there's a lot of Christmas things that are already happening. If you've got any interest in uh, helping our musicians as we look toward Christmas, they've got room for you. So see Pastor Kevin or just show up today at 5 o'clock. They'll be here. So they would love to have you at 5 o'clock right here this afternoon. All right, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Listen, we're preaching about the value of the Word of God this morning. 
And I thought that we would sort of be hypocritical if we talked about how valuable the Word was and we didn't read the entire passage of Scripture. So I want you to know this is a long passage that we're going to read this morning. If you've got some issues standing for a long period of time, we understand that. But if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And we're going to read 33 verses from God's Word this morning. The Bible says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come, to, come, in, to him, come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the, thing that was take, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to them and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for... I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered for God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that we would never, ever neglect the importance, the power, and the privilege that is the word of God. Move among us and in us. Change us, we pray this day in Jesus Christ's name. 
Amen. What keeps you from obeying God's word? It's amazing how easily we can just sort of overlook it. Forget about it. One of the great themes of Acts chapter 10 is God's command to Peter to overcome his racism and prejudice against the Gentiles around him. God called Israel to be a set-apart nation of missionaries to the world, a nation of priests. But rather, they saw the rest of the world not as opportunities for mission, but as God's unchosen filth. Israel had been given God's word specifically, but they twisted and contorted God's word to their own sinful desires. Israel should serve as a parable to all of us. It is possible to have access to the word of God and yet to not obey the word. Even worse, it is possible to have access to God's word and to use it as an instrument of division instead of a gift of hope and salvation. In our own country, we know the truth all too well. History has given us examples of those who have used Scripture to support such horrible things as slavery and racism. See, if we aren't careful, we can just use the Bible to say whatever we want it to say. We can pick and choose the parts that we like or that appeals to our sinful desires and ignore the difficult passages of Scripture, those things that speak against us. See, it takes a whole Bible to be a whole Christian, but it also takes... Obedience. We have to be willing to obey that word. The Bible is given for God's glory and for our good, and God is most glorified in our obedience to that word, not in our mere observation of that word. So what keeps you from obeying God's word? There are three things that I'd like to focus on this morning that I believe, if you will cling to, can help you to obey the Word of God, to not just look at it, not just experience it, but to obey it. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that Scripture is a gift of God's grace. Scripture is a gift of God's grace. Now, everybody kind of wants their burning bush experience. You ever heard that? I had a, uh, a friend once. He said, if God would just give me a burning bush, that'd be great. Then I'd know what I wanted to do. Well, I, I think we've kind of all been there once or twice. You know, well, maybe if the Lord would send me a sheet and let it down from heaven, I would, I would have an idea. Here, here's what we've got to keep in mind, though. This book right here, this book is on fire, but it is not consumed. Too many of you see the book burning on your nightstand and ignore it or hide the fiery pages in a cabinet when you get home. Do not ignore the burning book on your dresser or the fiery pages in a cabinet. Read it. Live it. Love it. Learn it. I said last week that this word is a miracle that God's given to us, but it's more than that. It's not just a miracle. It's a living miracle that is ready for us to access day in and day out. When we open the pages of this book, we are literally standing on holy ground. God is speaking. And it's not only when you gather with the saints here on a Sunday morning. God is speaking to you when you gather alone in your den on Monday morning. When you kneel by your bedside on Tuesday evening, God's word is available and open to you. And it is a gift of God's grace. Watch. When Peter and Cornelius encountered the Lord in prayers, that was awesome. But you understand that the voice of the Lord was rare in those days. The audible voice. They didn't have access to this. We can sometimes run through the scripture and assume that every time somebody blinked that they were encountering a miracle or the Lord was speaking audibly. You've got to understand we've got all these years of history condensed into this little book. 
or a big book, depending, maybe you got one of those study Bibles that's really heavy, right? But all these years of history are condensed, and we get the big stories. We miss the fact that there were so many little stories where people weren't hearing, they were praying, and they felt like their prayers weren't making it past the scene. It was just like yours at times. See, they were praying, and the Lord spoke to them. He, he sent them a message, and it was unbelievable. It was incredible. It was powerful. Cornelius and Peter encountered the Lord, but the voice of the Lord doesn't have to be rare for me and you because we have access to this word. Sometimes you don't want to obey God's word because you view it wrongly. Sometimes we get frustrated. We, we, we buy into this idea that it's just this list of rules to tell us what we're supposed to do. It's, it's actually a book that God's written to us that says this is who I am. This is how you can know me, and this is what it looks like to be a part of the family. This is what it looks like to be a part of us as my children. This is how we act. I feel like I've said this so many times through the years that y'all are probably tired of hearing it, but being a part of God's family is literally being a part of God's family. And one of the things that we try to say as parents, I hope that you do too, is not always to say don't do that, but to occasionally just say something along these lines. In this house, this is how we behave. As a part of this family, this is what we do. Well, so-and-so doesn't do that. That's fine. They don't have to do that. But in this family, this is who we are and this is what we do. God says that I've created all things. I've given you access to me. And now, if you're going to be in my family, this is who we are and this is what we do. It's a burning bush screaming God's glory. And so often we hide it away so that we don't have to encounter it on a regular basis. Scripture's a gift. Now, Peter and Cornelius experienced it in an odd way, right? In the middle of prayer, and boom, there it is. The Bible says Cornelius was terrified. You would be too. For the record, those of you that are waiting for a burning bush, you probably don't actually want it because if you encountered it, you're messed up, right? It's messing you up. Terror is the word that gets used over and over and over again from those people that encounter the angel of the Lord or encounter the Lord himself. God invokes terror. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. What does he mean? Lord, don't kill me. I don't deserve to be right here. And yet God's given us access to himself in this word. And oh, we mistreat this word. Oh, we neglect this word. Some of you keep your Bibles laying around as some sort of a talisman, hoping that if the Bible is there, then hopefully it'll do something good for you. Charles Spurgeon once said that too many people could write their condemnation in the dust on the cover of the scriptures. This word contains life. This book contains life. But only if we open it and read it. Only if we ingest it. Scripture is a gift of God's grace. We miss the gift aspect. Too often we look at God's word as a burden that we have to carry instead of a gift that God has given us. We watched a movie last night. It was bad. It was just, y'all ever watched those? It was so bad. It was kind of good kind of thing, you know? Like we, we laughed through it together and I, oh, 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 repeatedly I said, is this as bad as I think it is? And everybody in the room agreed. It was, it was just pretty, pretty cheesy. It was pretty rough. But, but one of the, the, the primary themes in the movie was that somebody had left a, a letter, you know, a, one of those goodbye love letters. I love you, but I don't love you that way, or whatever it said. And boom, there it was. They just held on to that. And the one character just held on to that letter. 
Because the person I love had written me this letter. Folks, do you understand that God's given us this book? He's written it to us. It's not a burden. It's a privilege and a pleasure. It's a gift of His grace. He did not have to do that. But He chose to do that. Let's not get over that. Let's not miss that just as the Lord spoke to Cornelius and to Peter, God speaks to us in this word. It's right there. Scripture is a gift of God's grace. The second thing I want you to know is you're wrestling with what keeps you from obeying God's word is that you don't know more than God. And that's a good thing. You don't know more than he does, and that's a good thing. I get to spend time with some teenagers occasionally. They ask me to do all kind of weird things. Like um, I, I usually go and help chaperone our kids when we go to camp, and occasionally I'll have one of our kids that, that runs, and they say, do you want to go run with me? And I say, no. And they say, why? I'm like, look, I know you. I, I looked at your time. I'm not even attempting that. Right? Or, or they'll, say, they'll ask me a weird question. I'll, I'll have them come and say, can you help me learn how to throw better? And I say, no, I can't. I throw like a 12-year-old girl. I can't make you throw any better. And, and by the way, I'm not talking trash about girls. I'm talking about like a girl that can't throw. That's me. It's bad. It's ugly. If you're an athletic woman, you throw better than I do. I promise. I can't throw. I don't know how. But occasionally they do really unintelligent things. And they come and say, Pastor Craig, I want to go lift weights with you because I think I'm stronger than you today. And I go, ha ha, we finally made it into something I know something about. And I smile at them real big. I say, you are under 18. You have no chance. They walk in and say, Pastor Craig, how much are you bench pressing? I say, it doesn't matter. I didn't matter. Oh, I, I, I did this today. And I said, well, that's great. I'm proud of you. And then they said, but how much do you do? And I try. I say, it doesn't matter. I'm proud of you, but how much do you do? I said, well, if you must know, it's this. And they go, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> they assume you're old and you're weak, right? It's okay. Listen to me. There, there are things that we need to know about and things we don't. People assume, we assume that we know all this stuff. We approach the Word of God as though we're the expert here. We're not. He is. Do you understand? You don't know more than he does. This is where Peter found himself in a mess. The Lord said, Peter, I want you to do this. And Peter says, well, I've never done that before. God, I don't know if you know, but you're talking to a really holy man. And God, I don't know if you're aware, but what you're asking me to do is not something I'm comfortable with, Lord. Let me explain to you what I actually need to be doing have you ever considered the hubris of that statement? Have you ever considered the hubris, the arrogance of Peter? The Lord says, go. And Peter goes, oh, I can't do that. I mean, uh, we, don't, we don't see like some idea that the Lord is in, in heaven and, and sort of has this weird sense of humor. I, I, I don't know if he does. I have no earthly idea. But I mean, I just know that me as a parent, right? And, and I am, am a flawed parent, flawed father but I know that when I say to my children hey I need you to do this and they go well I can't do that don't you know dad and I'm like wow yes I know imagine Peter says well I can't do that and the Lord just goes eh, actually you can you can and you should listen your thoughts and feelings just don't matter that much when it comes to the word of God 
Your thoughts and feelings just don't matter that much when it comes to the Word of God. We have to be careful in declaring to God what we would do if He hasn't specifically told us or showed us in, in His Word. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. We need to be careful also declaring what God would do in any particular situation if God hasn't told us or shown us in His Word what He would do. we got to be real careful about that. Well, if God were here, He would blah, blah. Well, how do you know that God would do that? We need to be real careful about that. Well, you know, God would, Jesus would turn the water into wine. Well, he did that once. He was in a lot of other places where he didn't do that. Let's not assume that if you don't plan for your event that Jesus is going to show up and fill in the gaps. You understand? We shouldn't assume that. We got one example of a party planner doing a bad job and Jesus bailing this guy out. You shouldn't assume that you can halfway do your job and Jesus is going to show up and suddenly turn all the water into Coke floats. It's not going to happen. Somebody laughed. I appreciate that because it wasn't that funny. <laughs> but you, you don't know more. It can be really easy for us to slip into this language about the Word of God that, that sort of puts us over the Word and it's sort of subjected to us. We can slip language into our requirements for Christians that are not in the Bible. You know? So, well, a good Christian would never do that. Well, why? Well, a good Christian wouldn't do it because I am a Christian and I'm uncomfortable with that. And since I don't do it and other people I know don't do it, then obviously a good Christian shouldn't do it and God wouldn't want you to do it. Listen to me. Unless the Bible says that we shouldn't do it, we need to be real careful Stating that others shouldn't. You understand? There are things that I may have a conviction about that I choose to not do in honoring the Lord. But that doesn't mean that you are required. Some of you might choose to be vegetarians to honor Jesus. That's fine. I'm proud of you. That's great. But I'm going to have bacon in the morning. And I'm going to do it to the glory of the Lord. Because I know that he has declared all things clean. I can walk in to my breakfast table in the morning and not only eat meat but eat pork because of Acts chapter 10 and I can give him the glory. Some of you say, well, I feel more comfortable doing this and I just want to honor God with my body in this and that's fine, but we don't get to make that a rule. You understand? A law. The second thing we don't get to do is take away from the Word. Well, I know that the Word says that, but what God really meant was I heard a preacher say that one time, and I almost came unglued. I was young. If, it, it, today, honestly, I would call the guy, and I'd say, Hey, brother, you can't do that again. I was, I was, but I was like 19 or 20, and you know, I just wasn't, wasn't in that place. But he said, I wish God hadn't used, I wish Paul hadn't used that word, because what God really meant was, Whoa! No, 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 no. I don't get to say this is what God's word actually was supposed to mean. I just have to read the word. And if I'm uncomfortable with the word, I've got to change me. You understand? I've got to change me. I don't know more than he does. When John warns us in Revelation not to add to or take away from the word, there's this implicit reminder, you do not know more. It's football season, and so we'll have some football references over the next few weeks until I get tired of watching the Gamecocks, and then I'll just pretend like football doesn't exist. We are close, just so everyone knows. I was in high school, 
playing defensive line, if you don't know anything about football, let me explain to you. If you're playing defensive line, the only thing you're supposed to do is what you're told to do, and you don't do anything else because you can't see everything. All you can do is see what's right in front of you. I was, in deep, I was playing, and they sent a, a, a backup in, and the guy didn't know how to call the plays, and so I was calling the plays because I knew all the plays, but I couldn't see, and we come out of the game, and we get reprimanded, and, and they said, Who, why did you make that call? I said, well, I made that call. And my coach said, why did you make the call? I said, well, because he wouldn't make the call. He wasn't saying anything. I made the call. He said, it wasn't your job. It's not your job. You don't know what you're doing, Craig. You don't know everything. You need to hush. Play your position. Get out of the way. Folks, a lot of times we're trying to make these calls for the Lord, but we don't know the call. We don't, it's not our job. You're not Jesus. Some of you need to hear that so that I can remove that burden from your shoulders. Like gracefully remove that burden. You don't have to fix everybody else. Some of you need to hear that, but some of you need to hear it this way. You're not Jesus and you don't know, so you just need to obey. He has the full picture. You have this little slice. Honor Him in your slice and trust Him to keep everything else moving in the right direction. Some of you don't obey the word of the Lord. Because you don't understand that it's a gift of God's grace and you see it as a burden. But some of you don't obey the Lord because honestly, deep down, you sort of think you know better than the Lord does. You know better than this word does and so you're regularly trying to twist and contort it. And listen to me. Some of you don't do that because you're evil people. Some of you, honest and truly, have become legalistic in your approach and you're, you're just trying to love Jesus better and protect the church and protect all these things. And so you added all these layers of protection around it. I, I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't need you to fight for Him. He doesn't need you to protect His Word. He's big enough. He's just fine all by Himself. He's given this Word to you, not so that you can add to it or take away, but so that you can be benefited, so that you can glorify Him in it, and so the world can be changed. Trust it. If you needed more, he would have given you more. And if you needed less, then he would have made it into a pamphlet. He's given us what we need for our good and his glory. You don't know more than he does. And third, this morning, God's word is given to be obeyed and not merely observed. Listen to what James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and pers perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. Now let's consider this narrative. We're, we're preaching from a long passage of Scripture this morning. We're kind of taking the whole thing at one time. we got a situation where Cornelius is praying, and the Lord says, Hey, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers, but I've got something better for you than you realize that you need. It's a pretty awesome thing. The Bible says that he's a God-fearing man, so Cornelius has some kind of relationship with the God of the Old Testament, but what Cornelius doesn't know is that he needs Jesus. He doesn't even recognize this. You understand? The Bible says that the Lord sends an angel to Cornelius and says, I heard your prayers. Cornelius, you're trying to do the right thing. You're seeking me. But guess what? He says, those who seek me, find me. Cornelius, I'm going to take care of this all the way around. I'm going to send somebody here to give you what you didn't even know that you needed. Folks, sometimes the Lord sends us what we don't know we need. Any of you ever had the Lord give you some bad medicine you didn't know you need? I've been there. When what the Lord gave us wasn't what we wanted, but it's exactly what we needed. 
Bible says that the Lord sends a, an, an angel. About the same time as Cornelius sends his people to find Simon the Tanner's house where Simon the Peter is living, about the same time the Bible says that Peter is up on top of the house praying. And in the middle of this prayer, he goes into a trance and, and, he, and he has a vision. And in this vision, the Bible says that, that he sees this sheep being lowered from heaven. There's all these unclean animals that's taken eat. And Peter goes, oh, no, God, I know way better than that, Lord. You don't understand. Now, if you think I'm exaggerating, remember, uh, there came a voice. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. Remember, Peter knows who he's talking to. He's used to telling Jesus what to do. This is what Peter's big issue is, right? Peter says, oh, I don't know about that. Je Jesus says, I'm going to die. Peter says, not as long as I'm here, you're not. Peter said, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So I'm so grateful for Peter because I've gotten myself into trouble so many times with my mouth. I'm so grateful that there's hope for even me. The Lord comes to him and he says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, no, 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 no. And he says, no, a third time. I need you to rise, kill, and eat. What God's made clean, don't call common. The Bible says three times. You want to know if God is graceful? Three times the Lord came to him. Three times. God didn't just smack him down after the first one and say, I'm going to find somebody else. Three times. How graceful is God to give us his written word that we can encounter over and over and over again? How graceful has God been in your life that you can hear the gospel over and over and over again? How many of you got saved the first time you heard the gospel? How many of you got saved the 30th time you heard the gospel? Or the 40th time or the 50th time? That the Lord didn't just give it to you one time and say, I'm done with you because you wouldn't listen. But the Lord, who is rich in grace and mercy, just continued to pour to you the gospel, his love, over and over and over again. And finally, at some point, you got it. And God didn't say, I'm so glad you finally figured it out. The Bible says what? That God will save all who will call upon his name. So when you finally got it, after the 40th or the 50th or the 100th time, the Lord didn't say, finally, the Lord said, welcome home. Grace, mercy, patience. Three times he went to Peter. Three times. And finally, Peter says, all right, whatever. There's a knock on the door. Do you know that the Lord is sometimes at work answering our prayers before we even ask a prayer? We prayed in here several weeks ago on a Wednesday night for the Lord to give us specifically. This was a very specific prayer. We needed, that we needed somebody to host Bible studies at one of our middle schools. We prayed specifically for that school to have a teacher who would host Bible studies because we didn't have one. Okay, And you know what happened? We prayed at 7 o'clock. And at 9.20, I had an email in my inbox when I got home from church that night that said, Pastor Craig, my name is so-and-so. I am going to be hosting FCA at the middle school. Can you please let me know if there's anything you can do to help us? What? I said, I, you are literally an answer to prayer. We prayed for you tonight. God had lined it up. That prayer was answered before we prayed. Isn't that amazing? God had already worked it out. God does these things. The Lord's working. Cornelius' people are at the door. They're fixing to go looking for Peter. But before they can even knock on the door, the Lord's already lined it all up. Peter obeys. Why did Peter obey? Because Peter was a follower of Jesus. Listen to me. Christians obey God's word and live like Jesus. They don't just observe the word. 
They don't do that. They obey it. James said what? It's like if we don't obey the word, like we looked in a mirror and turned around and walked away and forgot immediately what we looked like. Peter got this message from the Lord. He didn't really like the message. Don't miss that. He didn't like it. There are things in God's word that you don't like and that I don't like. Let's just be honest about it. I can love it without liking it. I can love the God who gave it without always being excited about the message that he gives or the commands or the expectation he placed on my life. We know that Peter wasn't excited about this. Peter had spent his whole life hating the Gentiles and avoiding unclean foods. His entire life he had been taught by everybody he knew to hate the Gentiles. And here the Lord says, I need you to go not only to a Gentile's house, I need you to go to a Roman centurion's house. He is not just a Gentile. He is an occupying force in your country. He's oppressing your people. And I need you to go there to him and to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter did? Peter obeyed. He obeyed. Why? Because Christians obey God's word. It's an odd thing that we have to say this out loud, but we do. Christians obey God's word. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, but you're not living in obedience to God's word, we have to have serious questions about whether or not you belong to Jesus. But pastor, some people backslide. Maybe that person just, just backslid. Or maybe, maybe they just weren't discipled. Why do we try to make excuses for people who aren't living like they follow Jesus? That's not loving or caring. When I see somebody that doesn't look like Christ or live in a repentant way, I don't need to make excuses for them. I need to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear that. You say, Craig, that sounds mean. I'm going to take you back to Jesus. He's kind of a big deal. And I want to remind you of this same Peter. On the night that Jesus died, he was betrayed by everybody, including Peter. You remember the story. I talked about this just recently. Over and over. What are we doing? Don't you know him? Peter says, no, I don't know him. Three times. Second time. I don't know him. The third time. I don't know him. Yelling at a little girl. Do you know that Jesus confronted Peter on the beach? And what did Jesus say? Now, Peter, I know that you just made some missteps, so let's just move on and forget about it. Come on and join one of our committees. No! Jesus confronted Peter with an important question. Do you love me? Folks, when we find people who claim to be followers of Jesus but who are living apart from Christ, who are living in rebellion who have gone fishing instead of coming to Jesus, we need to look at them and ask the question, do you love him? Do you know him? Well, that sounds kind of mean and judgmental. This is what Jesus did to Peter. And guess what? Jesus already knew the answer. If Jesus is going to ask Peter the question that he knew the answer to, how much more should we be asking those who are not living in obedience, do you know him? Can I introduce you to my Savior? Followers of Jesus are supposed to be followers of Jesus. Does that sound redundant? Followers of Jesus are supposed to be followers of Jesus. Are you following Christ or following your own path? Are you following Jesus or are you following the ways of the world? You see, here's the reality. People are going to know who we are by how we live. And if the people in your life don't see you living as a follower of Jesus, but claiming to be a follower of Jesus, they don't know you as a Christian. They know you as a hypocrite. 
And that's a problem. And it's not biblical. Christians obey God's word and they live like Jesus. And finally, as we consider that the Bible is to be obeyed and not merely observed, let's remember this. The Bible is not a political platform. The Bible exists above politics, above worldview, and above our feelings. The Bible is bigger than Republican or Democrat. It's far above rulers and powers and principalities. The Bible should inform your politics, but your politics and your worldview should never inform the Bible. You say, Craig, that doesn't have anything to do with this passage. It's injecting your politics into this sermon. Except for the fact that Paul was asked to go to his oppressor and to share the gospel. Listen, this is a confrontation. Confrontation. I got that emphasis all wrong in that pronunciation. This is a confrontation with Peter's worldview. This is a confrontation with Peter's politics. The Lord confronts Peter and says, go proclaim the gospel. And he doesn't care what party he's on. He doesn't care who he's voting for. He cares about the gospel being proclaimed in Cornelius' household. The Bible should inform our politics. But listen, our politics and worldview should never, ever inform the Bible. We do not observe the Bible and try to bend it to our own desires. It must shape and mold us. Always. If we're not being shaped and molded by the Bible, we are not reading it rightly. Years ago, I recall having a conversation with somebody about Christianity and politics. This is probably been a decade ago. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget the statement. Because I, 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 he said, you know, as the church, what we got to do is we got to get into the government. We got to get into these elected positions. We got to take power. And I said, what, what do you think? I said, well, I, th I think the greatest problem I have is that Jesus never ran for office. The greatest problem that I have is that the only time that Jesus stood before rulers, he was wearing a crown of thorns. He was being mocked. Paul stood before rulers in chains. Well, Craig, that might work in the church, but it doesn't work in politics in the real world. And my heart broke. This man was a leader in his church. But he had bought the lie of the world that the only hope for the world was for the church to take over the politics of the world and to live like the world. He had allowed his politics to inform his scripture understanding. He had allowed his politics to inform his biblical worldview. Greg, are you saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics? No. I'm saying that our scripture, our Bible, our Jesus, our God has to exist above our political commitments. It has to inform our worldview. It has to inform our politics. It has to inform our understanding of, of sexuality and of sin and of justice. The Bible gets to do that and nothing else. And it just doesn't always matter how we feel. Feel. Our feelings will lead us astray. 
We don't see this passage as political only because we don't understand the visceral hate that existed for Jews toward Gentiles. Republicans and Democrats don't hate one another the way in our country that Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews had grown to understand that the doctrine of election, God's choosing of them, was not for the sake of them being able to influence the world, but instead that God had chosen them and had rejected the filth around them. And that God had chosen them as his favorites and they were able to look down on everybody else because God liked them the best. And God brings a corrective to Peter. It was never meant to be that way anyway. Now Peter, go. Go to the government that crucified your Lord. Go to the Gentiles that don't live according to your rules and laws. Go, Peter, to enemy territory. And when you get there, they're going to be waiting. Peter was like a white supremacist that walked into the house filled with African Americans. Filled, remember? Because when Cornelius heard that the Lord had a message, what did he do? He went and found everybody he could to come and join him so that they could hear the good news. We've got to be shaped and molded by God's word. But we're only shaped and molded by that word when we're willing to be obedient to that Word. In conclusion this morning, what keeps you from obeying God's word? What's keeping you from Christ today? The Lord told Peter to change, and Peter's response was simple, really. God, I've never done that. God, I've always lived a certain way. God, that's not who I am. That's what Peter said. What's keeping you from Jesus? Is it pride? Do you think that you know more than God does? Is it laziness? Do you just not want to obey? Do you think you're too old or too set in your ways? Whatever's keeping you from obeying God's word and coming to Christ is an idol in your life. You've decided that thing is more important than Jesus. I've heard some believers say some weird things through the years. Well, Craig, I know that that's a sin, but that's just how I've always been and I can't change. If you know that it's a sin and you refuse to change, you're living in unrepentance. You're living in direct disobedience to the word of the Lord. This is a church that's seen a lot of great things happen with young people in recent weeks and months and years even. But I want you to know today that the word of God was given not just so that young people might come to Jesus. The word of God was given so that men, women, boys, and girls of all ages could come to Christ and could live for Christ. There's some of you in here above the age of 45 or 50 or 60 who need today to repent of the sin that you've held on to. 
And you need to get over yourself. Peter said, Lord, I've never done that. Some of you need to say, Lord, I've never done it. But God, I'm willing to try. If you'll walk with me. He will walk with you. So I invite you today. Repent. Come to Jesus. Some of you may need to come to Jesus for the first time ever and experience salvation. But I suspect that there's some of you today that need to repent of the fact that you, like James warned about, have often found yourself confronted by the Word, but you've refused to obey the Word. That you've been Peter. Lord, I've never done it that way. But when Cornelius' people did not come knocking, you just continued to live in your own sinful patterns. Today can be a new start. The day that you decide to obey. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would draw us deeper into obedience. Make us more like you. Forgive us for our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.